0: Quiet this morning. I don't know whether it's waking up and still dark outside and 34 degrees and this wonderful drizzle we've got, but whatever it is, I pray that there will be a warmth in your soul today and uh, that God would minister to you. Uh, how many of you watched Monday Night Football this week? Or how many of you have at least seen some replays of some of the things that took place there? Uh, I... I had a friend of mine who pastors a church in Rochester who sent me a little note, and he said, he said, I want to tell you what I learned about prayer watching Monday night football. He said, we have discovered in a very public setting that people, when they have a sense of powerlessness, come to recognize that there needs to be a power greater than them in order to accomplish things that are essential within their life. Like most of you, I was, I was watching that game, frankly, because I was really interested in how the Bills were going to do, knowing that it could propel them to some things that we who are Bills fans hope that we're still celebrating in February as they get there, only to discover this massive event that took place within DeMar's life as he falls on the ground. And it dawned on me that so many of these players are just really young men who have never really experienced anything traumatic within their lives, and you could see it on their faces as they were witnessing something that they were unaccustomed to, even though that they were big men and have been around this all their lives. And I begin to recognize that there's some moments in life that begin to clarify spiritual realities. What we discovered is that the instinct that each of us have, whether we know it or not, is still intact to call on God when we are helpless. Uh, I was amazed at watching ESPN and different interviewers that didn't know what to say except to pray and all those things. We watched athletes that may or may not have a relationship with God suddenly feel very comfortable dropping to their knees in a circle on a field and beginning to pray. Helmets were pressed on the ground. Intercession took no sides, As a young man lay on the ground fighting for his life, and why does everybody pray? Why did everybody pray? Because there was a disaster occurring before their eyes, and they suddenly recognized that there are things that happen in our life that are completely outside of our control. There are moments that cause us to feel completely helpless. I did notice that there were no angry outbursts, there were no accusations. Opposing players stood together, arms around each other. Tender words were whispered between coaches. Promises were made to one another. And I began to recognize that the more that we care about others, the more we realize how powerless we are, and the more we tend at those moments to seek God in prayer. And as I saw that, I began to think this was a crisis that was lived out publicly that everybody saw but it's not exempt from any of our lives. How many times have we had crisis in our lives that was not played out on a national TV? It wasn't played out where everybody could see. It wasn't played out where everybody gathered together in the feeling of that helplessness. And and as we have come to this, the end of what has been a week of prayer for us, and I want to thank those of you that were here every night this week and, and as we were praying about different topics that came about Uh, I I couldn't help but think we still are a people that when we come to the end of our rope, recognize whether we are living for God or not, we are hoping that He hears when we pray. We are hoping that He exists when we are hopeless and helpless. And uh, today I would like to, to move on with the thought that we have had this week during Week of Prayer. And by the way, our services this morning are going to look vastly different now you get to hear a message that the second service is not going to hear because I think we have 11 water baptisms. And when, by the time we get to 11 people giving their testimony, the sermon will be whatever they say. So you are either, um, you're either blessed or cursed this morning, um, depending on how you receive this today. But, Father, as we come before you this morning, we recognize that there is a process that is at work within each of us. From the moment that we intersect your grace, and we heard this morning through a prophetic word about the reminder of how much you love us, and we are introduced to your grace, something that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, we simply receive it as a free gift, that if there are those today who have not had that happen, I pray that today would be the day that their life and eternity is changed as a result of you expressing your love and forgiveness to them. But then, Lord, following that interaction with you, there are some specific characteristics and qualities that you long to draw out of us. And I pray that as we address those in your word today, that we would do so with learning hearts, that we would open our heart to the Spirit to hear what you would have to say, and that we would be obedient to those things which you lead us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. At the beginning of a new year, I don't know about you, but I often find myself reevaluating my spiritual growth. Do any of you do that too? You begin to say, okay, this is the way that my devotions looked this past year. This is the way I would like them to look. These are the areas that I either felt like God was able to achieve some things in my life, or this is the area where for whatever reason, I felt like I may have closed a door to what God wanted to do. And I wanted to be more transparent with God, and I want Him to be able to work within my heart and life even more than he has done in the past. And so oftentimes at the beginning of a year, our prayers are somewhat similar to this, Lord, I want to please you more this year than I ever have in the past. I want to grow in you more this year than I ever have in the past. And I begin to think about what does growth in the Lord look like to me? And frankly, what I begin to recognize is I thought that as I look at your life and as you look at my life, there are some things that we recognize are spiritual experiences that are necessary so if we're going to grow in the Lord, number one, we have to have a relationship with Him, which means there's been a salvation experience. And, and then there's a sanctification process by which we are instantly sanctified at the moment of salvation, but there's also a progressive sanctification, meaning that day by day we grow more mature in the Lord and we look more and more similar to Him and less and less similar to the world. And then we recognize that there probably is going to be the the affirmation of certain theological issues or political views. And, And what I began to discover as I was making my list, that in my mind, that people that are growing in the Lord and people that are living a holy life have a certain look to them. And at the end of it, I discovered that my goals were to have everybody look about the same. And then the Lord began to speak to me and say the growth in other people's life will not look exactly like the growth in your life because God is not creating each of us to do exactly the same thing. And so as we begin to recognize one of the things that's important to us as we grow in the Lord is this aspect of prayer, which we have seen throughout this whole week from people that we would never have expected, they were saying, were you praying this week? Were you praying for Demarted? Did, did you see all that that went on? And, and we even saw uh, certain channels like ESPN where they had somebody praying on the channel. I don't know what the, the, the word was to him later on about that, but I thought, how bold was this man to recognize in this moment that what we need is not an announcer, we need a God that would intervene. And so we recognize how important prayer is One of the things that I discovered in my life this week during this week of prayer was how often in my prayer life I use the term me or I. I begin to recognize, Lord, I've discovered that my time with you, which is so valuable and so precious, is often filled with here's what I want you to do for me. Here's what I need you to accomplish in my life. And so I begin to make it a point in my life the last few days to say, Lord, this is not about me, but it is about others. How can we pray for one another? And I would like if you have your Bibles today to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Interesting enough, when I was reviewing this chapter this week, I have written off in the the side of my Bible that this particular passage was the theme that we had in 2014, this, this passage. And so I thought, it's been long enough. We can revisit this particular passage today. In Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is Paul's letter to the church at Colosse. And in this, he begins, first of all, to talk about his commitment to prayer. The interesting thing about this is that this time when he wrote this letter, he had never met these people yet. He had not seen them. He had not been at the church. And yet he was bound by a commitment to pray for them. And he says, I pray for you without ceasing. And his prayers were faithful and ongoing. If Paul had a commitment to to pray for people that he had never met, then obviously there is a lesson in this for us as to how we intercede for people whom we have never met. We do so when we were praying for our missionaries, that we were looking out in the lobby at the places where we have missionaries. We pray for them, though we've never been there and we've never met them. But there seems to be an aspect of growth that Paul has proposing to us that takes place when our prayers don't circle around us, but we'll pray for others. He goes on at the end of verse 9 to talk about he prays for knowledge. He asks that they would be completely filled with the knowledge of God. I pray that for us, that we would be completely filled with the knowledge of God because if we're completely filled with his knowledge, then we don't have room for things that are less than Don't know about your life, but oftentimes as we review ourselves at the beginning of a year, we begin to reprioritize things. So, Lord, would you please, in our prayer, give us a knowledge that fills us. He prays that they would know God's will. He prays that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Can I tell you that I believe that that is what has the people of God standing out from the people that don't know God? is that God gives us a spirit of understanding and a spirit of wisdom in how to live in this world and the decisions that we make as it reflects upon our life that's different from those that don't know him. If he created the world, then I certainly want his wisdom and how to live within this world to the greatest effect. He goes on then to speak to them about living a life that is worthy. And then he lists four characteristics that I would like to focus on briefly today, About what living a life worthy might look like, so that we have a picture that we can at least hold ourselves to when we ask God, Am I growing in you? Am I becoming more like you? The first characteristic that he lists within this passage of scripture is he said that if we're growing in the Lord, we will bear fruit. We will bear fruit. Not you might, he said, You will bear fruit. Now, I recognize the idea of bearing fruit is not something that is foreign to us that live in upstate New York because we have apple picking season, we have strawberry season. Some of you are gardeners and you know that you plant things at just the right time to make sure that the the fruit or vegetables are ready when you want them. And Jesus says to us that the same would be true of our life. He tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, watch out for false prophets They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In this world in which we live, how many of you have heard people say, don't judge me? Have you ever heard that? You don't have the right to judge me. Let, me. let me just reflect a little bit about how this passage of Scripture, we may not judge people, but we can certainly be fruit inspectors. There will be a fruit, a fragrance to the lives of those who are Christ-like, and there will be a fragrance or a fruit to those who are unchrist like And we are told that in this discerning aspect of life that we need to be very careful because there will those that will proclaim that they are producing a godly fruit, but if we will examine closely, we will recognize that they are not. What this says to us as believers is this. If there is not a change in the way that you live after you claim that Jesus Christ is your Savior then we have to doubt whether there's been a change in your soul. Our heart and our lives go together. They are not separate. So as we review what kind of fruit am I producing, we remember then that fruit will take on the nature of that which is feeding the tree or the DNA of it. It is important for us to note this. Since God is not designing each of us the same... There may be some of you that God is designing in such a way that the fruit of your life will be recognized more quickly. It takes a lot longer for you to produce fruit if you are an apple tree than it does if you're a radish seed. And sometimes we have the ability to look at others and sometimes demean them because in their life, whatever God is developing in them may take longer than what he's doing in you. But he is creating the church in such a way That what he brings out of each of us will bring a health to the whole body. And so as we are judging fruit or looking at the fruit in each other's life, let's be patient, recognizing that what God is doing in one may take longer than what God is doing in another. And for some of you, you need to give yourself a little patience in this as well. Paul contrasts the life of those who are living a life in the sinful nature versus those in the spirit when in Galatians 5, 19 through 23, and this is in the New Living Translation, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results, sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions, the feeling that everybody is wrong except those in your little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. All of that starts with these words. When you follow, do you recognize that God says, I give you a choice? You get to choose how you will respond. And then he goes on to say, but when the Holy Spirit controls your life, or other words, after you've intersected the grace of God, after you've invited him into your life, there are new desires and new things that he wants to do. It says that he will produce. Now, I want you to, to think about that because so many times we feel that we've got to do everything. Lord, I've got to do this for you. I've, I've got... And he says, let me just tell you, when I come into your life, if you will follow me, I will produce in you this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are not in conflict with the law. So when we decide that we want to be people of the Spirit... When we decide, Lord, at the beginning of this new year, as I'm outlining the way that I would like you to be able to work in me and grow me, we come to recognize that one of the things he desires is that our values would reflect him in the choices that we make. Listen to the prescription of Jesus in John 15, 4 as it relates to how you can be fruitful. Remain in me. Remain in me. In other words... There are going to be moments of your life, probably daily, where you will have to choose what will I follow, what will I fill myself with, how will I do this? And his his exhortation to us is, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Did you hear what he was saying to you? We don't go out to bear more fruit. Our desire is to grow closer to him. And that as we grow closer to him, as we remain in him, the DNA of the Spirit works through us in such a way that what is produced in our life is fruit that he has produced. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of growing closer. And our righteousness is, is not measured by what we do within this church building. It's whether or not that in the outside world, in our day-to-day life, do we live a life that glorifies Him. How do we treat our families? How do we treat our coworkers? What tactics we will and won't use as it relates to making a profit in our business? How do we handle our mistakes? Are we humble before people? All of these things are not found only in the church, but are found in our life outside of this. And so he says, one of the characteristics that we long for as we're growing in the Lord is that we would bear fruit. Secondly, he speaks to us about the aspect of knowing him better. We will long to know him better. A life that pleases God is one that keeps growing in knowledge. I hope this year, through your Bible reading that you have had, that there are aspects of God's word that you know better now than you did at the start of the year, I pray that your knowledge of God is greater now than it was when you began. And he tells us that first growing in the knowledge of God is not the same as seeking to learn more about God, but it's allowing God to 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 be at work within your own heart. I think many of us are concerned within our life that knowing God more means that we have learned the secrets of tapping into whatever uh, magic there may be that would bless us more. And that, uh, Lord, if I can just learn the secrets of how to get more from you, how to be blessed more by you, how to, you know, do all of these things and receive all of your blessings. And God says, you know, I want you just to know more about my heart. There are those of you that have been married a long time in this room. And from time to time, it's healthy for you to go back and look at your wedding pictures. Because when you do, number one, you see how much we have changed since we had those times, also we look at those and we recognize that what we thought was the pinnacle of love was merely the opening door to what it means to know one another. And so Paul says that in your desire to be more like Christ, there is a longing to know him better. Part of that comes about as you begin to recognize that you don't read the Bible merely for factual information, but that you read the Bible with an opening prayer that says, God, what may I learn about you today as I read your word? I don't want to just know about you. I need to know you. And in that, Father, as I, as I take my time in prayer, may my requests not be consumed with what I need, but may I spend more time expressing to you how much in love with you I am. Now, we heard this morning about God telling you how much He loves you. How often in your prayer do you simply say to Him, I just want you to know I love you today? I'm so grateful for the way that you are protected. I'm so grateful for all that you are to me. I'm so grateful that my future and my Eternity has been wrapped up in what you have done for me. And so this eagerness to know him better is to learn of his heart and to read his word in such a way that we do so, not just to learn facts, but to know him better. We're careful to seek the truth and to take all of our beliefs and filter them through what we read in his scripture. We are to live out the will of God and to practice the will of God knowing that the will of God has no value in our life until we are committed to living it out. So let me rephrase what Paul says here. He he says in some very practical terms, he says that we are to walk worthy. I don't know about you, but I see that term walking worthy and I feel very insecure in my ability to live in such a way as to please God. The Greek word for walk is peripatasy, which means we set our lives and our behavior and our conduct on Christ. We literally say, here I am, I'm laying this on you. And then the word worthy is axios, which means to have the weight of or to weigh as much as something else. And so when Paul puts these two words together, that our desire of growth in the Lord is to walk worthy of him, what it means is that our walk is to weigh as much as the walk of Christ. Our conduct is to conform to the will of God as much as the conduct of Christ conformed to the will of His Father. We are to live a life just as worthy as the life of Christ, and that the will of God is to control our behavior as much as He controlled the behavior of Christ. Nothing like a high bar for us to live. That we would live on this earth with the same impact that Jesus Christ lived on this earth. Now, we look at that and say, you might as well just give me an F now in this class. I don't know that I'm capable of even passing this class. And the other side of that then is the Lord saying, but you need to understand this. Greater is he that is within you than he that's in the world. In other words, this isn't something that you motivate. It's something that's motivated By me living in you and through you, so that in your life, as you grow in the knowledge of God, the influence that you have will be that of Christ in the world. He is the pattern, and we are the copy, and the copy is to be just like the pattern. The third characteristic that he mentions, this honestly, I I will tell you right now, is my least favorite. He says, we will endure difficulty. That's not why I got into a relationship with Christ, is to be able to endure difficulty. He tells the church at Colossus that a life that pleases the Lord is one that is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then notice the, purchase, the purpose of this power is given so that we might have great endurance and patience. Lord, I was with you on the first two. Can I just audit this class? And every one of us that are sitting here today know for a simple fact we cannot audit the class of patience and perseverance. We have to take it. The word for endurance or perseverance literally means to remain living under. It means basically what we would say is there are times in our life when they're going through things, and the best word that we can give each other is just hang in there. Just hang in there. My wife and I were meeting with a family last night, and they were beginning to express some of the things that are going on there, and and, and they looked at us and said, What's your advice? And we said, Hang in there. Just hang in there. Even when it seems, as we said this morning we were singing, even when it seems that you're not there, even when it seems that you're not doing something, hang in there because God is at work in the things that we don't see. There are things that are being produced in us in this time of endurance and perseverance, that when we endure difficulty, there will be aspects of the nature of God that we will not learn in any other way. It also has a unique meaning that it very literally can mean being patient when you're dealing with difficult people. Now, I was going to ask for a show of hands, but I will not do that. For how many of you may or may not have difficult people that may be an active part of your life, but we will just assume that we all do. Frankly, some of you would be the difficult person that others would raise their hand about this morning, and you don't even know it. There are those that we need to have patience with that annoy us. They disturb us. They make us want to scream things that might not glorify God. And in my experience, I have seen God enables us to endure these moments of time and endure these people that that seem as if their whole goal in life is to see how miserable they can make you. And God reminds us that, number one, he is in control. He's in control of the circumstances, and he is in control of people. He also reminds us that I might not understand what is happening on the other side. Have any of you ever met somebody that the more you got to know them, you recognize that you misread that book by the cover? And that as you got to know them, you begin to recognize there were reasons that they were feeling the way they feel. There were things that were going on in their life that you had no idea about that was causing some of the anxiousness and anxiety that was going on in their life that was just spread out on others. And the Lord tells us that we need to be patient because we don't know what's happening on the other side of their life. But the way that you respond and react to them may very well give you an opportunity because of your patience to speak into their life at a moment when they need it the most. So in hard times, we don't complain, we trust. We don't walk away, we listen and learn. We don't despair, we hang on tighter. Be strong in the times of trouble and difficulty because as you are patient with difficult people, God may give you an opportunity to speak into their life and bring about a change that you never knew would possible as God gives us a different perspective. Sometimes he reminds us that I was and sometimes am the difficult person, that everybody needs the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just having a bad day. The most difficult people are those who are generally hurting the worst, and God has come to heal those who are hurting. That judging a person's hearts and motives is something that's God's job, it's not mine, and that God has a history of transforming people that I have written off. We have no idea what God is up to. But he says, be patient and endure. The last quality is that we would live a life that's just grateful. If there's anything that I would ask God for in my life this year and that I would ask God for for this congregation, those that are here, those that may be watching online, is that We would learn to be more grateful. Complaining is not a spiritual gift, but many of us are good at it. Being able to face circumstances that other people in different parts of the world would look at us and say, What are you complaining about? is an interesting thing. We in Syracuse complain about the weather when we should be grateful that we're alive. Sometimes we complain about income and how much taxes take out when we should be grateful that God provides. We can complain about the government, and yet I am so grateful to be an American. I have visited other countries that make me so glad that God allowed me to be born and live here. I've watched people at restaurants complain about how their food was cooked and how long it took a waiter or a waitress to get it to them when they should be grateful that there's something to eat at all. We complain about other believers because they're not like us. We complain because we think that they should be doing something different. They're not a spiritual us. We're the only ones that are doing it right when we should be thankful that God does not create every member for the same function. We complain about travel. We complain about people. We complain about crowds. When we should wake up every morning with a deep understanding that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I believe you get the idea. We thank God because there are things that may annoy us. But God says, would you turn the page and look at it from the other side and do so with a thankful heart? I love being around thankful people. They have influence in my life. And I pray that as others see you, as you're growing in the Lord this year, that within that thankful nature that you have, you might watch some of the, the walls break down before you so that your nature allows you a word to speak into them. You see, gratitude begins, and worship team, if you please come. Gratitude begins when we realize that we do not deserve the inheritance that's been reserved for us. And attitude Of gratitude grows when we learn to open our eyes to the blessings that we often take for granted our attitude of gratefulness grows as we see how wonderful our Savior is I was telling the staff at our staff meeting Monday that I was reading a passage of Scripture and there was one word and I don't know how many times I've read this passage but there was this idea in this, in this passage that came out and you can find it in Psalm 41 too and it talks about God protecting and preserving and I had to just stop for a moment and recognize that for each of us that are in a relationship with God, there are going to be th- things that we don't know anything about that God has blessed us because of his protection and because of his preserving that never happened to us. I said, Lord, would you allow me in my prayer life to begin to thank you for the things that you did that I don't know? How many expenses in my home you spared because we've been faithful to honor you in the way that we give? How many accidents have I been spared from that I don't know anything about because you protect and you preserve? How many times have things gone right with something that I had no idea the army of angels that were surrounding that particular moment that was holding back an enemy that wanted to destroy. And you preserved in all of that. Lord, would you allow me to look through new eyes as I read your word and understand you are a God that protects and preserves. And it won't be until I'm in eternity and see all of the things that you did that I don't know anything about. How many diseases, Lord, have you spared me from? How many times have you healed me of cancer when I didn't even know I had it? How many times have you kept me from diseases that I should have had and know nothing about it? You protect and you preserve. Lord, would you give me a thankful heart this year?